Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. Did you know that listeners like you are helping to make these podcasts possible? Let us know that our podcasts are important to you by showing your support today. Visit stjosemaria.org slash give. Today in the podcast, Revealing the Heart of Christ. Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, reflects on Jesus' example and command at the Last Supper that we love one another as he has loved us, and how this new commandment creates a connection between Jesus Christ and us, revealing to us and helping us to love with the heart of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament, and our conversation with our Lord is reflected in this special true presence of Jesus. Out of that monstrance radiates that heart of Christ. We perceive it through this monumental gift that we call the theological virtue of faith. And this true presence of Jesus is meant to carry on in our own minds and hearts. This true presence of Jesus is the vision of every Christian. What our Lord tells us in his Eucharistic presence is that we're called to say what St. Paul said. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Our topic of prayer is loving with the love of Christ, loving with the heart of Christ. And in this post-Christian time, when our society is brimming with paganism, moral falsehood, or moral relativism, gripped with hedonism, this vast absence of Christ. And when I say loss of Christian culture, what I'm trying to say is the language of Christianity is no longer understood. The word sacrament, the word grace, the term blessed trinity, Jesus Christ, who has two natures, the nature of God and the nature of man. This is all a foreign language now. And not only that, don't leave yet, I don't want to leave, I'm not going to leave you depressed, I promise. This is just a staging area to turn a corner. So hang in there. 
In addition to this ignorance of the basic tenets of Catholic teaching, there's an ignorance of the rudiments of natural law. In fact, what's trendy, what's in fashion, is to do the opposite of the dictates of natural law. Whether it's chastity, whether it's the sacredness of marriage, whether it's the sacredness of unborn life or long-born life or suffering life, all those very basic self-evident truths are not only called into question, but they're contradicted and denied. If I turn the clock back, I just came from teaching an intense course on history of the church, attempted to teach 2,000 years of history in 12 classes. I failed miserably. I was off by 1,000 years. But perhaps I gave too much attention to the first few centuries because it was the age of the laity and if I went back in time, for example, to 150 AD, my audience would understand totally what I'm saying. The only difference is I couldn't say post-Christian, I would say pre-Christian. But the experience would be the same. You would have the same scenario without modern technology, which facilitates sin in many cases. It also facilitates evangelization, depends how it's used. So our Lord publishes a very special catechism. It's much shorter than the catechism we have now. The catechism we have now, at least the book I have, is 623 pages. The first catechism was a sentence or two. Sometimes it's one sentence, sometimes it's two. And it was taught at the Last Supper. And it's tailored for every generation, but being an American, I would say it's tailored to Americans. We are result-oriented. And so Jesus adds a little something to this first catechism so that the Americans could get enthused about learning it by putting it into practice. Jesus is about to cut his followers loose in this paganized world. And first he teaches by doing something sensational, something very radical. Never did it before. Now we're a little bit more used to it because it's part of the Holy Thursday liturgy. And the Holy Father is very devoted to doing this as well. Our Lord began to wash feet. Of all the things he could have done at the Last Supper, 
His most profound words and teaching are reserved for only, I'd say Judas ran away, 11 men. And what does he do? How does he get them ready? He could have given a great talk on enculturation. He could have said, listen, when you go to the Greek world, it's kind of nice to learn the rudiments of Plato and Aristotle. He didn't say that. Or he could have given some lessons of how to deal with the Romans who were super practical. They were like us Americans, into law, into sports, and into what works, into accomplishments. Jesus doesn't do that. I think if he would have consulted an American, probably an American would have told him, well, listen, why don't you just give a Cracker Jack pep talk? He didn't. He, he washed dirty feet 2,000 years ago. Not at a Holy Thursday liturgy. I guess it was a Holy Thursday liturgy. It was the first one. And he washed feet. And he set every apostle on edge. Because two, two of those feet were Judas's feet. He left the, that, the cynical during the Last Supper, during the meal. But he's washing feet. And Peter, the spokesman, hot-headed Peter, and I can imagine that they're Mediterranean types. I'd be pretty hard-pressed to think that they were into sensitive dialogue. I think Peter lost his temper. And as he was waiting for his pair of feet to be cleaned, he was getting hotter and hotter underneath the collar or underneath the skull cap, whatever they wore. And he said, no way, you're not washing my feet. There's a limit to your spirit of service. And I'm going to put a halt to this. This radical service doesn't make sense. In fact, it's Peter who proclaimed him God. You are the son of God. And so our Lord said, well, you're the Pope because you've been inspired to announce that I'm the son of God. You're the first one to do it. And Jesus tells him that he needs to be on this wavelength. He came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not know now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Is our Lord threatening Peter? Is our Lord angry with Peter? He's saying, Peter, in this scenario, in this 
culture. In this first evangelization, which is similar to ours, you're not going to make headway unless you reveal radical love. Unless your charity is almost overwhelming. And so you can't be on my team unless you're willing to love as I have loved. You've got, I really want all you men to be very good foot washers. And I'm gonna, I know I'm God. I know that I deserve infinite adoration, infinite homage, infinite worship. I know that. But I am the incarnation of infinite love. And when you're the incarnation of infinite love, you start to wash feet. Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Bear with me. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. And in the Old Testament, Lord meant God. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, the catechism. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men and women will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, that's the part for America. That's the catechism. They will know me. They will know that there's a connection between Christ and you, if you love as Christ is loved, or at least trying to love as Christ is loved. All right, Lord, I don't know what time I'm not looking at my watch. It's about nine o'clock. What do I do? And I will go so far to say that the new commandment can be unfair unreasonable. It sounds nice, it's very simple. It's simple but impossible because it's not the Old Testament admonition, love neighbor as self. That's not easy either. That's the Ten Commandments. It is love as I have loved, love with the heart of Christ. And last time I checked, Jesus is perfect God and perfect man. 
How are we supposed to replicate that when we are riddled with the effects of our fallen nature of original sin? We all know it. I don't mean to give anybody a low self-esteem, but it's theologically correct that we have a fallen nature. Is it fair or is it unfair? Well, if, if there's no supernatural means, if there's no sacraments, if there's no prayer, it is unfair because this is impossible. No one could do this. Throughout the year, I go on hospital visits, but usually between, it's God's call, but it seems I do more of that between right after Halloween into, into the beginning of Lent, mm-hmm. hospital visits, funerals. And I was with this saintly woman who I knew pretty well, was a colleague of mine in the government of Opus Dei. Not breaking any confidence, she would loiter the chapel often. She was very devoted to the Blessed Mother. She died recently. A month ago. And spent time in front of the Blessed Sacrament and very diligent about her routine of connecting with Christ. And I was, you know, I know her. I mean, it wasn't, you know, she, she, she didn't literally wash anybody's feet, but she was a very good foot washer. It was translated. You know, we don't need to wash feet anymore, but just a good listener. She had a, I'm not saying that's, we have to take this literally, but this is what really happened. She got brain surgery. I, she was living in the center of Opus Dei. I ring the doorbell and uh, she answers the door. And I, what are you doing answering the door? And big smile on her face, and you know, a warm greeting, etc. Foot washing. So her family, and to a man and a woman, all criticizing her in a loving way. She couldn't sit still. She had to always serve, and when she would visit, she would help with the dishes and help with the setting of the table and, you know, straightening up the house and enjoying people's company and super interested in her nieces and nephews, etc. And as she was in her last days, you know, one doctor said, you know, she couldn't hear because of... Uh, you know, the permanent damage to the brain. Anyway, I have enough experience, but that's more preternatural. You know, I'm an expert of bringing people out of comas. Right. And where they sit up and spook everybody and, you know, join me in Hail Mary's and go back into a coma. I had someone who was 
practically comatose and I guess God, Jesus has a good Jewish sense of humor and the guy kind of revives and he tells me, he criticizes me for not being a Packer fan and we get into more serious conversations and he dies a few hours later. So, you know, call for my service as your last resort. And so I would mention to this woman, you know, uh, please offer your suffering for this intention, the other intention. She would kind of twitch and jerk a little bit, you know. One doctor said that it's a reflex reaction. Another doctor was, I was there with him, and he was blown away because she was responding, and so, I don't know. They're both brain specialists. One said she was reacting, one said it was reflex. I believe that God is not limited by uh, any kind of pathology. It's, you know, he's in charge. But what was interesting is when one of the physicians came in, both of them, one a lot more explicit than the other, but the both of them, to summarize that she gave them she didn't give him a meditation, she didn't give him a homily. She would habitually give them an experience of Christ and had a profound effect. What are the steps? What's the Lord, give me the help menu. Saint Jose Maria says in Forge, if you are another Christ. If you behave as a son or daughter of God, you will set things alight no matter where you are. Christ enkindles all hearts, leaving none indifferent. Step number one, I would say the icon of charity is the crucifix. That is the greatest sermon our Lord ever gave on charity. He acted it out. Prefaced by foot washing. Open heart. And that's a symbol of his heart being open to everybody and the blood and water gushing out. The symbol of his love for everybody. His open arms are a symbol of an embrace of his love for every individual and laying down his life. He tells each and every one of us what we're worth, what we mean to him. But notice, I don't have any original thoughts, I stole this from somebody else, but the cross has a vertical bar and a horizontal bar. In theological speak, there's a vertical connection with Jesus in a horizontal one. The vertical one stands for prayer, raising your mind and heart in prayer. The vertical, don't mean to insult intelligence is here. Intelligence is here. You can't have a cross beginning with the horizontal. I mean, obviously it'll drop to the ground. You could only have the horizontal if you have the vertical first. Horizontal stands for charity in theological language. 
the horizontal relationship with Jesus is to see the Jesus in others and love the Jesus in others. Sometimes that, you know, these certain individuals seem like the least of his brethren. And I don't mean, you know, someone homeless. He doesn't seem like the least of his brethren. The suffering and the goodness of underprivileged suffering people are, don't seem like the least of Jesus' brethren. People in sin, people who are mean-spirited, on and on, alienated from God, alienated from others, they seem like the least. And to love unconditionally, I need the vertical. In other words, I need a life of piety. Because without the life of piety, this new commandment of loving with the heart of Christ is unfair. Because what does prayer do? St. Paul explains it. He says, the love of God is poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Kind of, well, we've got to do benediction. I'll save it for next time. But I'd like to finish with this invitation of our Lord through these words of Saint Jose Maria. You must inspire others with love of God. And, and zeal for souls, so that they in turn will set on fire many more who are at a third plane, who will in turn spread the flame to their associates. What a lot of spiritual calories you need. My love, I have to see my prayer, my Eucharistic devotions, my devotion to Mary as a service to this new commandment. Because I, my heart fuses with the, the heart of Jesus when I exercise that vertical dimension of my spiritual life. Then I can have the horizontal. Then I can, because only with the vertical can I have that charity of Christ. Mary, we pray to you. You're the feminine incarnation of the love of Jesus. Help us learn from you. Pray for us so that we get some lights to grow in this new commandment of loving with the heart of your son. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. That is stjosemaria.org.